Welcome to the Casey Catch-Up. This week, we talked to Super Grom, Jack Ho, fresh off his second place finish at the Gorge Paddle Challenge. We also go through why he got into foiling from longboarding, go into a bit of gear, so what he used at the Gorge Paddle Challenge. And we also dive deep into his first downwind foil run from up the lighthouse, back down to his local beach break, at, local surf break at Diamond Head and a few stories uh, from the Voyager Foilers and uh, his challenges transitioning from prone to SUP and, and why he thinks SUP is something that's better for longer distance downwind foiling too. So jump into it, it's a, it's a cracker. Thanks Jack for uh, jumping on and sharing your time. I'm sure a lot of people are gonna enjoy it. All right guys, welcome to the Casey Catch-Up. I'm stoked to have Jack Ho, a member of the the Voyager Foilers, and he had a pretty successful campaign over in Hot Hood River recently. Um, Jack, why don't you take it away? Give us a bit of a background on who you are and why I've got you on here. Well, aloha, everybody. My name is Jack Ho. I am from Honolulu on the island of Oahu, and I'm a foiler just like everybody else listening. <laughs> um, very stoked to be here. You know, James is he's such a legend in the stand-up world, and now in the foil world, he's taking all his prior sub knowledge and transferring it to foiling. And if you see his Instagram, you know that he's all into the downwind stuff. And that's a lot of the um, type of foiling that we were doing here in Hawaii, especially in the past year, it's just blown up. So um, it's super great to be here and talk about downwinding and share kind of our experiences as well as our knowledge and what we think about the sport. So again, just thanks for having me on tonight. Oh, absolutely. I've been, I've been following you and I was actually, I, I've followed you for a little while and I'm like, I, I didn't realize you were as young as you were. Like you've done a few <laughs> epic runs and I'm like, oh, he's like 16. Cause I know the Spencer boys and I was sort of scrolling through. I'm like, I thought Jack was older, but yeah, you, you, yes, you portray yourself as this sort of, you know, I'd say probably early twenties, but you're, you're 16, right? Yeah. Thanks man. Yeah. I'm 16 years old. I am um, in 11th grade in high school. So. Yeah. Not even finished school. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And you're fully like, to me, it looks like you're leading the way over on Oahu. It's like full on like the yeah. South shore. It looks like a lot of the older guys are looking up to you and um, Mateo, which is sick. And for those that don't know, Jack and Mateo, you know, just, just, nailed the hood river the columbia river gorge challenge first and second um jack was second mateo first and um i'll stoke to watch and, and see some new winners because ja jeffrey and finn had won it many times and they winged it this time but yeah i'm getting off topic um let's start at the beginning so how, when did you get into foiling because i thought you'd been yeah. in this for a while yeah so it started on Oahu, I would say probably four years ago, started with these guys on GoFoil, Eva and Kai wings. Um, and some of the Nash wings were like kind of newer at the time as well as Cloud9. And now just those wings just seem so ancient. But at the time I was really into longboarding. I want to say I was maybe 13 years old, 14 years old. Um, I was like pretty big into the longboard scene. And I remember just going surfing for us surfing was just, so even if the waves were junk, we would still go just because there's nothing else to do. And I started seeing these like guys, especially old guys, guys in their, you know, fifties or sixties or even seventies, like much older than what my, my crowd is. And then no offense to the guys out there who are that age, but I want to say like old, 
old guys to us, people who like we look up to and like kind of the uncles in the lineup. So I see them flying around in these hydrofoils. And at the time it was the most foreign thing ever. No one knew how they worked. And I remember a couple times I was at our local spot diamond head and it's usually, it's really exposed to the trade winds. So it's never like super clean. Usually you're going to surf there. If you're so desperate to surf, you just want to catch a few waves and you catch wind waves. So I'm there and I see these guys flying around me. I'm having an awful session catching terrible waves. And I come in, I tell my dad, Hey dad, I need a foil. <laughs> he's like, hold on. Like, you know, those are kind of expensive. Like maybe it's just a fad. Maybe you just like want it just cause you had a bad session. And I was like, dad, dad, this is like, I need to do this. So some time went by, I kind of forgot about it. And I keep seeing these guys um, getting better. And I finally see guys pumping back out, catching multiple waves. And I'm like, oh, kind of, this is it. Like, I need to do this. And my dad kind of finally realized, he's like, hey, like, let's get a foil. Look on Craigslist. Yeah. So I was looking at Craigslist and they were kind of like expensive at the time. And then uh, we have the local used surfboard shop here in Hawaii or in Honolulu. And uh, they sell everything. And at the time they had this $650 hydrofoil complete setup. It was a 5.6 kind of groveler surfboard, a little thicker. And you could still see the FCS fin plugs in there. And they just added these two longboard tracks. And then uh, all carbon foil, the mast, I measured the whole thing. The wingspan was 27 inches. The mast was 24 inches and there's zero logos on it. Wow. Not, not, there's, there's no name, nothing. And I'm just trying to figure out where this thing came from. And I finally kind of realized that this is a full China knockoff wing. And I went out there. Um, it was so easy to stand up on because there's zero lift. Yeah. So instead of the whole paddle in and get, you get bucked off, you're paddling in, you're standing there and the thing's not lifting. You're like pumping and pounding on it with all your might. And finally, it finally comes up and you'll fly for a second before it drops. And I kind of had a super easy learning transition just because my foil was so bad at lifting out of the water. It was easy to get it going. Um, the only downside to that was that it was basically impossible to pump back out of the wave. Yeah. And I even gave it to my friends who knew how to pump back out at the time and they couldn't do it. And that lasted about a few months until I got a cloud nine. Let, let me just pull you up there. Cause just what you said then for, for any of the crew that are learning to foil, that's what Jack sort of lucked into. That's kind of the best way I think to learn to foil a foil with less lift in the surf. You're going to have less of those launches. So like you said, it was a pretty easy transition, but yeah, sure. like you weren't pumping and linking waves right away, but you know, you just needed a bigger foil. So you could transition from surfing to this low lift foil that you could foil yeah. on the wave. And then once you were ready to pump back out, you sort of swap with your friends and you use their foils. I'm sure you were, you're about to say, yeah. well, no, and I'm sure you were linking yeah. waves right away. Exactly. So this whole no lift foil was a blessing. It was awesome. And at the time, all I was doing is going straight on these. Like, I remember there's one day at Diamond, it was glassy, which is like pretty rare. You need a certain type of wind. And there's also waves. So we catch these like waves, maybe like three footers on a Hawaiian scale. So that's a pretty big wave for foiling. You can't paddle into them and it would just go flat and this moving groundswell would just push. And I remember I was on this huge groundswell, but my foil barely lifted out of the water. So it was so easy to control it. And then um, I got a cloud nine on Craigslist for 800 bucks. And I took it out that day and I was pumping out to waves and connecting my first wave. And uh, 
from there on, I kept doing that. And then I hopped on some other foils, just my friends, and finally uh, won a lift 200 and a raffle. Yeah, awesome. And from there, I just kept, I just kept uh, kind of like buying and selling and trading friends foils. And up until I finally started riding some like sponsored equipment at a discount and then sponsored equipment for free. And, but it really started with these like cheapo junk foils to get me going. And at the time, everyone was kind of on like junk foils. So there, there wasn't like any advantage. Everyone kind of was on the same equipment. And it really wasn't until maybe a year or two ago when these all these different brands started popping off and people kind of could tell what they liked and what they disliked. Yeah, it, it, it's so true. I guess like going from the Kai and Eva from the beginning, you know, to the, those Nash foils you're talking about, to the Cloud Nines. I think one of my friends got his hands on one of these Chinese knockoffs, super thin black, no logos as well. And um, it's, it's amazing the evolution, like you said, like from four years ago, five years ago, from what foils were to what they are now is crazy. It's ridiculous. And, oh, it's crazy. And I talked to my friends, we can all collectively agree that the GoFoil Eva wing was the best wing that ever existed. <laughs> And also, once the Cloud9 P27 came out, that was like the most high-performance wing. And now we look back at that and just ancient history. Oh, yeah. It's like the last thing we would ever want to ride. Yeah. I've actually, I've still got a Kai and an Eva, and I teach on it sometimes just because it's, you know, they're bulletproof. But oh, they're they cool. lift and they're slow. Like, <laughs> compared yeah. to the foils now, it's, it's um, man, we've come a long way. Exactly, um, exactly. Yeah, so it's cool and I love the story. And I think, you know, once again, I want to hammer it in to people that starting out, like learn on something that's low lift because, yes, we all want to fly, we all want to pump and link waves. But when you first start to foil in the waves, the lift is like your worst enemy. You get blown up and, you know, yeah, you're yeah. dangerous. Whereas if you start with a, quite a small foil and just stick to the foiling on the wave, you're going to learn a lot of skills, learn how to foil axe in the water, learn how to turn the foil without getting, you know, blown to smithereens and, um, and progress up the sizes, which is a cool way, which sounds yeah. like you did. So that's, that's awesome. Yeah. I haven't heard many people do that, actually. You know, most people learn on bigger foils because they're slower. But yeah. I, yeah. I think a big thing at the time also was kind of what you were able to get your hands on and what your price budget was. And yeah. A lot of it was hand-me-downs for friends. Someone would start on one wing, they'd get a new one and sell their old equipment to the, the friend. And then that friend would go through that same process and sell that piece of equipment. So I just remember all, all of our foils kind of just getting sold from one person to the next, maybe three or four times. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, you get, you get someone new into it. It's like, oh, you should try this one. And then you sell it and you buy something better. And it's just sort exactly, of, yeah. yeah, the spiral. Yeah. Exactly. Because at the time, there was only so many people doing it. It was like easy to just hit, hit your friend up and sell that and get your new piece of equipment. And then yeah, well, and it's blown up even more now, right? Like it's um, crazy. Looks like it's especially I'm frothing to see like the re I spoke to um Kahi and uh, to talk about the voyages, and it was good to catch up with him because it was um I just was blown away with the numbers numbers of people that are doing a downwind run and like obviously prone. So yeah. I'm trying to get people here in Sydney to do it with me. And I've got Zane Westwood is the only guy I've really successfully had to come along. I got a mate, Joe, to join us on one and he came down. We're going prone, so we couldn't go that for him. Um, <laughs> it was, we got 
slowly a bit of momentum coming into summer. I think we'll we'll have more of a crew, but you know, not A, B, C, and D team like you guys have. Oahu is a it's taken off. Uh, it's actually been a, a like a year. I think it was the other day marked marked a year of kind of um, our kind of crew assembling and starting to do these runs. It started off the whole group chat thing. I don't know if Kai talked about it, but the whole group chat thing started off. Uh, I think it was Simon or I made the group chats because we didn't want to call each other individually and say meet here. Yeah. Instead, we just wanted to make the group chat with uh, four guys at the time and say meet here because that's what we do. We would call one person, you hang up the phone and then call the next person. And you would have to make four calls so we can all be there at the same time. Yeah. We started this chat and just more people uh, got added. Now we have our final product that is uh, <laughs> far, far from final, but it's, yeah. uh, it's crazy to see where this is going to end up next year, per se. Oh, for sure. Um, let, let's backtrack a little. Like, when did you do your first downwind run? And was it on a prone? Was it on a sap? Was it, you know, what kit, what gear were you using? Tell us the story, because everyone's, I, I still remember my first downwind run. Um, I'm so, sure you've got a good story. Yeah. So, um, growing up my whole life, I would surf all these waves inside from the wind line. And I had no idea that there's a wind line that produced huge swells, literally a hundred yards outside of me surfing. And um, I remember on like windy days, we would just not surf. We would just maybe like foil in the waves, but then that kind of got old after a while. So I remember there was this one kind of windy, average windy day. And my friend and I went to go foil our local and it was bad. <laughs> it was yeah. one foot windy. And um, our friend came by on a jet ski and said, hop on, let's go. I was like, where are we going? And he goes, we're going to the lighthouse, which is, um, which is about a mile up the coast. But at the time that I was like, Oh my gosh, that's so far. Like, yeah. why are we going up? He's like, just hop on, we're going to do a downwinder. And I, I had no idea what downwinding was. All I knew is that like you're foiling downwind. I didn't know like what connecting swells was. Um, so we got, we get up there, he drops us off in the water and there's him on the ski and his buddies in the water. And I'm with my buddy and my buddy's on a surf wing. He's on a surf wing. I have this like OG signature high aspect, uh, albatross foil, the first generation one. And, uh, we caught a wave kind of that broke across the reef and started just pumping downwind. And I could tell that there were swells around me. So I was trying to ride those, but I wasn't really sure how the swells broke. And my friend just told me, look left. So you're just looking to your left and uh, always, you're never pumping straight at the time. It was never trying to hop over bumps. It was always look left and like fall back into it. Mm -hmm. So I went for probably half a mile until my legs and swell gave out. And I'm just sitting there in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> and uh, I paddled into a break, caught another wave, got to the beach and we were kind of all baffled. We we're like, well, what was that? That wasn't even fun. We kind of just pumped. And a long time, I want to say like months went by without even thinking about a next attempt. Yeah. And then um, the next attempt was a super nuking stormy day. We, uh, a buddy and I parked a car at the beach and we walked up the coast, up the hill. It's like Diamond Head, Diamond Head Road goes up this kind of this uh, gradual hill. So you're really walking up a hill for two miles. Yeah. 
So we walked uphill for two miles with our foils in the rain <laughs> and then got in the water and it was fully storming, caught a wave and there's these huge bumps. And I just remember riding them. I just remember riding them so easily because they were so big and obvious and we connected them all the way about a mile and a half down the beach, came in and I was like out of breath. And I, there's a hose at the beach and these kind of like uh, older female paddlers were there rinsing off their canoes. And they're like, honey, are you okay? I was like, yeah, I just came from the lighthouse. And from the lighthouse to where we end, um, everyone kind of knows like that's really far for a foil. And at the time, no one else has done that. So they were baffled. And I was pretty baffled too. It felt like I just won freaking M2O or something. And it was such a big accomplishment, even though that was a mile and a half of just kind of pumping. And from there, it just kept going on and, you know, more people got interested in it. And then lift release the high aspects we got on that and it was it just built from there but those were kind of like the the first and second kind of early runs that we kind of were experimenting with the waters yeah that awesome that's i think a lot like you said the first one the first and the first and second are normally pretty bad like they're not normally fun (laughs) like as you said you're pumping you normally you pump too much you're looking at all the wrong spots and you know it's it doesn't make you want to come back and do it over and over again and and go for longer distances so like like you said like it was months between your first and your second and I I I guess I'd be interested like I wonder what do you know why you went that second time when it was like I guess it was super stormy so there wasn't much else going on yeah the whole reason we went again we're like okay like do you want to try my friend's like yeah I guess so like what's to lose and kind of like out the waves weren't good and we could tell that there was wind they were like okay like why not like yeah I, I guess what's the worst that can happen i guess we can just go and send it and yeah um that, that was like kind of the breakthrough run we're like whoa we can do this so then and, and how um, long ago was that because you're 16 now so uh, wow that was that was probably a year and a half ago yeah so you're like 14 so, <laughs> yeah i think i like yeah probably like 14 um it was freshman year. I remember fresh. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a junior now, but that was kind of like freshman year. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so, I wish I up with foiling. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty great yeah. when like you and your teenager friends are foiling with a bunch of dudes. <laughs> grown yeah, men. Yeah. yeah fully. That's another beautiful, that's another beautiful thing about this whole uh, downwind thing on, especially on Oahu. It's, it's opened me up to so many new people and oh yeah and how good the foiling, the foiling community is so friendly and like they want to help you awesome. yeah before it was the type of if before foiling those type of people were the type of people i would go out into the lineup say hi to shake their hand and sit 20 feet under them because i'm scared to get in their way because they're you know better surfers and they have more rank yeah and now yeah. and now they're asking me how to how to downwind or asking me which foils to use. So yeah. The whole the whole age and whole age demographic has really no um it doesn't have an effect of foiling. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It, uh, and I think I guess for, for me, I've noticed the exact same thing. Like I, when I was growing up surfing, like the older guys, they were older guys and you just stuck to your sort of grom mates. As you get older, like I've got mates that are still at school, like your age. And I'm foiling with them all the time. And I'm like, calling up, when do you finish school? Let's go foil. You know, let's go down. Yeah, here. exactly. Whereas like, I would like, never call up like a, yeah. you know, someone. Here, my, 
Tim, my friends Bob who don't foil, <laughs> my friends who don't foil are like wait so like this guy who's 40 years old is calling you yeah and i'm like yeah like, he's my friend we're foiling and they're like oh okay like <laughs> that's not something that like everyone just most most uh 16 year olds don't have friends who are 40 that they go do stuff with but with foiling that's make it makes perfect sense it's awesome yeah you're doing the same thing so it's exactly right and i guess something i didn't mention earlier on but you're like a national longboard champion right like you won a longboard yeah uh i'm a state longboard a regional longboard champion and then uh, i got runner up to my buddy but yeah runner up yeah i was pretty i was pretty big in the longboard scene yeah like, and really, are you yeah. still longboarding or is foiling completely relevant? <laughs> Well, I think a big thing was with the lack of contests during the past year with COVID. Yeah. Um, kind of my friends and I, none of us really took surfing as seriously as before we kind of had a break. Um, a lot of us are actually foiling at one point. Um, but the whole COVID break kind of set us back a little bit and no one really was like surfing seriously anymore. It was kind of just like when the waves are good, we'd go surf. But like- Actually, I just saw- a couple of photos you put up recently, you got a mega swell. Yeah, so there was there was a swell. But another thing was we kind of got to that age when, you know, when we were in middle school, every single day we'd surf no matter what. And then kind of once like we hit like like ninth, 10th grade, our friends after school kind of like, if the waves weren't like amazing, we'd rather just go like play video games at our friend's house. Or we, we kind of got to that age where we were okay with not surfing because yeah. we were hanging out with friends at someone's house. So, I mean, I'm sure any adult listening could have a laugh about this, but like for me is either like, oh, do I go surf junk waves or just go to my friend's house? And that's kind of when surfing every day kind of stopped for me. It was only when the waves were like really good. And then foiling came along kind of, that was like not every single day. That was still kind of just whatever. And then um, once I kind of got good at foiling and once my friends started joining me, that's when it kind of took off because no one wanted to just go foiling alone you wanted a friend so my friends learned how that's when kind of everyday activity started uh happening whether it's surfing or foiling and then i i'd say in the past like six months we've all kind of my friends and i at home kind of gotten more into surfing hardcore again but for me since covid there's no contest i've it's kind of set me back where right now i have a different look on surfing i'm kind of it, going on a different path than my friends who want to be professional surfers. I'm just kind of doing a lot more foiling now as well as other ocean sports. So I'm kind of more trying to go for an all around whatever makes me happy kind of thing instead of a, I have to surf, I have to longboard, I have to practice for the next contest. Yeah, waterman, you're becoming a waterman. Like it's, you're doing yeah, what yeah. the musicians are telling you to do. And it's the same here when I was growing up, it was, um, uh, Sydney's Northern Beaches, there was a pretty big, um, like, shortboard scene. There's North Narrabeen, there's Avalon, like, you know, Tom Carroll, Barton Lynch. Um, there's so many, like, world champions that live, like, in where I live. But um, the waves aren't that good. And that's kind of probably why they're world champs. It's because they would surf all the time, no matter if the surf was good or the surf was bad. Yeah. You know, so, whereas, you know, I when I was probably... 17 i got into well 16 or 17 i got into stand-up paddling because exactly that like if the waves weren't good i probably i wasn't surfing but i wanted to still get out there and have fun so a stand-up was like foiling for you a stand-up was yeah. like something with more glide you get more speed and you could kind of surf shit waves and still have fun and um yes and then when foiling came along sort of sounds like similar to you like when foiling came along it was like well i'm gonna have more fun on crap waves 
on a foil than I will on a stand-up or a surfboard, so I'm going to foil it, you know? Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, so it's always, you're always yeah. having fun. And, and then when it's super windy, you know, winging and downwinding and there's so many options now, it's always pumping. <laughs> yeah, for us, like, I know a lot of guys who are strictly only foilers now, but when the waves, like, if we had a choice to have perfect, like, wind and perfect foiling conditions or perfect waves, I know a lot of, like, me and my Voyager friends, a lot of that crew would love to surf every day if we could and I, like if there was perfect waves every single day i don't even know if we would be foiling i'm sure we would just be, all be shortboarding or surfing but yeah. that's not the case you know every everywhere in the world has those bad days so that's why we foil but we when it's good we still love to surf and surfing still kind of my number one mm. uh enjoyment yeah, and I'm the same. Like, I, if it's big and dialing, like I don't want to be foiling. I want to be pulling exactly. in. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So you want to go surf, but like, unfortunately, you can't do that every day. So that's when the foiling comes in. Exactly, and it's yeah, that's it's having a tool for the right conditions, and that's that's why I got into downwinding too, and a bunch of wind sports because like, yes, like you said, it's no fun on anything else. Kind of, it's like it's pumping on a foil, and it's not on anything else. Yeah. yeah. So let's. So you started doing like your one mile run. When did you start to go longer? Because I know you've done some some pretty long ones now. Um, yeah, what's the longest so, run you've done? So the longest one I've done so far is probably twelve miles, and that's just because the coast of Oahu only allows for us. Since we're on an island, mm. the coast is only a certain you know. Um, mileage yeah. so you can't go farther than 12 miles on the south shore because that's when the like how far the wind line kind of goes before the yeah like, uh, island, yeah yeah like in Marco, um, the, the angles are bad and then if you go past diamond head the angles bad again so you've only got like this little section of coast right yeah so pretty much from like the point in makapu on the east side of oahu to um the farthest you can go is maybe like on the outskirts of Waikiki, like a little bit east of Waikiki because Waikiki is a bay. Yeah. So if I imagine a bay, it's all protected in here and the wind kind of shifts. And as well as the island has these little slight degree changes in the in the coast. And that also has a big effect on the wind, even like a few degrees messes it all up and can change the angle. But um, after we did those first couple runs, we started doing uh, our two mile run, which we still do whenever it's windy, but that was that made the most sense with the, the that was the farthest we could go with the least amount of risk and it yeah. was very easy jump off the rocks catch a wave go um a few of my friends did that and we had success with that and we'd like little by little we'd go farther up the coast maybe drive another half a mile or then another mile up the coast and we'd all we would pinpoint spots where we could get into the water easily yeah because the farther up the coast you go um, I, I, I think I remember Kai talking about this, but the farther up the coast you go, um, the coast changes. It goes from beach to maybe rock to like housing. Yeah. So you pinpoint spots where you can get in the water and that's kind of where we come from as well as, uh, pinpoint waves where you can take off. Cause you can't take off at a dry reef slab. Yeah. You needed these, you needed these certain waves to, um, to take off at. So started doing that. And then the famous Hawaii Kai run on Oahu, which is the main downwind run. Each island kind of has their own run, just like Maui has Maliko run and 
um, Molokai is the Kamalo Run. Um, Hawaii Kai Run on Oahu is eight miles from China Walls to um, lip right on the outskirts of Waikiki at this beach called Kaimana Beach. And I got a sup because I saw Kai Lenny and the Stencer brothers supping. And at the time I, I understood that, oh, if you fall, you just paddle back up and you're, you're going again. So I was like, you know, I'm just gonna do that. I can stand up on a 12 foot board. Doesn't seem that hard. Uh, here, John Amundsen, make me one. So he made me one. And I go up to Hawaii Chiron thinking that if I fall, I could just paddle back up. And luckily I made that run. That was our first eight mile run. Made it no falls. And so um, did, was, you, did you catch a wave to start on that run on your stand? Yeah, so I, I didn't paddle into a bump. I just caught a wave. Yeah. And when I caught that wave, I was from there. Was, I technically didn't even need my stand up paddle because I, I didn't fall. Yeah. But uh, that was like a pretty confidence booster. I was really stoked on that. I felt like I just owned the world. And the next week it was windy again. My, my friend, what happened? Oh, we lost, we forgot to put the screws in on the Moses 1000, which was the wing we were using at the time. It fell off. We lost the front wing. So we only had the 800 left. Yeah. And the 800 is a pretty small front wing. I want to say it's like a one, 130. And uh, I caught a wave, same thing keep going and I lost lift and fell. I was like, okay, no problem. I'm just going to get back up. Keep in mind, I suck at stand-up paddleboarding. <laughs> I've done it like three times in the waves and I spent like solid 10 to 15 minutes paddling back up and I'm on this super tiny wing to, to add. And uh, I couldn't get up, ended up paddling 45 minutes, which is like a mile and a half to two miles back into shore and asked my mom to pick me up. <laughs> and that set, us, that set us back a lot. We realized that we don't know how to get back up and that we really need to practice. So we'd, uh, we switched to doing shorter runs. And when I say we, it was really me and my friend, Nick Capule. Yeah. So every, everyone, it was the two of us. Everyone else didn't have a stand-up and they still don't. Um, but they didn't have a stand-up. They weren't involved in this Hawaii Chiron thing. It was me and Nick. And Nick got a stand-up paddleboard just because – he was kind of a stand-up guy before and he uh was kind of in the same boat as me and we both kind of sucked so like we could learn together and we would just do our shorter runs and practice going down and getting back up once we got more confidence and were able to do that successfully one day we went from four more miles up the coast to sandy beach and that's the 12 mile run that we all made so that's kind of the evolution of our runs just keep going farther and farther up the coast when you're ready yeah that's epic and then i think that's it's classic that you literally you had your stand up and, and you and you just made the whole run. You didn't even come down. So you're like, oh, if I fall, it doesn't matter. Like, and then you realized. Yeah. And then I realized that I can't do it, and I paddled two miles, and that was kind of an eye opener. That's when I kind of was like, oh, okay, maybe I should like learn how to do this because I don't want to get stranded in the ocean. Yeah. It, it sounds like an, an initiation because Kahi did the same thing, you know, on his pro. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so far with the suppers I think there's been I think like three or four of us who have done that kind of paddle when we're unsuccessful to get up yeah yeah it's, and exactly. it, it sucks, but that's it's kind of uh like you said the initiation to to do the round you get everyone's got to pay to play so that's, that's it pay to play yeah um, epic and that's 
I think everyone's got a story like that where like it wasn't even your first, I, I hate that it's not your first one. You know, you made your first one, no worries. And then it was like <laughs> your second or third one, you came down, you're like, oh, hang on. How do I get going again? You know, and it's like, obviously, yeah. oil definitely didn't help you. Um, but you had the confidence because you'd had it done, had done it the, the time before. Yeah, and it, it was, it was uh, the kind of thing where you kind of understood, like, once the bump passes you and you're in the trough, you can get going. But really, we had no idea how to do that. We didn't know how to translate those words to actions. Yeah. So, so I think I've seen a photo of you paddling an outrigger canoe. Is that, is that right? Um, yeah. I, uh, once I kind of mastered the downwind on the foil, I wanted to downwind on a canoe and kind of transfer my downwind knowledge to uh, OC1, one-man canoe. And that's kind of like the original form of downwinding here in Hawaii. Everyone downwinds on a one-man canoe. So I found one on Craigslist for a thousand bucks, and I—that's pretty cheap, brand new. They're like five thousand, so I got one for a thousand, and went out there and kind of figured it out. But it was pretty easy, like going from a foiling background, reading bumps to being on a canoe. Obviously, it's slower, but it's a—it's uh, still pretty fun to mix it up. So, yeah, I, I do that every now and then. Yeah, no, that's it's funny that you say it's um, slower because I guess I'm from a stand-up background and it kind of goes yeah. outrigger, surf ski, foil, and it's yeah. it's hard going from foil back to stand-up because that's a pretty big gap. But I guess yes. it's foil to I mean, one man. It's similar with the one man. You're you're going pretty slow still, but you know it's cool to like get in those troughs still. And um, when you when you have one lining up a bump lining up or you're looking 10 feet in front of you you can really get going on paddling get the momentum to glide into the next swell so it's fun especially like my friends do it so i it gives me something to do with my friends because not all my friends can downwind foil but a lot of them can one man canoe paddle so it gets me out there with them yeah and i think uh, there's a, the, the beauty of the paddling sports is you can go upwind and downwind too um yeah. you don't have to worry about like falling to yeah, well, it was a little tricky. Um, yeah, actually, I've got a challenge for you. And I, I know, because you wing as well, don't you? You wing foil, or you can? I do. I'm not the biggest fan of it, but I, I do own a wing, and I do go from time to time. Yeah, yeah. So the wing foiling, and I'm, like, I'm probably similar to you, that I'm not really into the, like, the sailing is kind of cool, but, you know, I prefer to foil. Um, the, the tricks, I'm not really all that interested in, like the back flips and stuff. It's kind of, yeah. really, I'm really into the freestyle stuff, but the wave riding I love, like when you're free wing and you're just riding the wave, yeah. that's super fun. Um, and what I've found recently is I've been winging upwind and then I'll just like deflate and just wing downwind. So it's like a carless downwinder. So you literally... That's, I've never heard that before, but that's pretty interesting. So you could launch from um Kaimana and go all the way up to well you know first time maybe you just go to Tongs or you go up to towards Hawaii Kai as far as you want to go normally I go like half an hour upwind and then I turn around and I deflate the leading edge of the wing and I just like I, originally I was packing it up and putting it in my bag but I stopped doing that I just sort of hold it like under my arm like a ball and you just sort of <laughs> go downwind back to where you started and um, if you come down, I sort of had a little brainstorm. I was like, if I come down, what am I going to do? And originally I had a paddle and I'd paddle up and put the wing in a bag. 
but I've changed my theory and I've now put a pump in my bag. So if I come down, I just pump up again and get going. So you, one, there's two two reasons it's epic. One is you can go upwind and downwind. Two, you can use yeah. smaller foil and a way smaller board. And three, no car shuttle. So it's yeah. I've never heard that one before, but that sounds pretty committed and that sounds like a pretty interesting way to do it. Um, but yeah, props to you for like, I maybe, I, I think you can have the title of being the first person to do a carless downwind with the wing being deflated in your arms. That's because, pretty yeah, creative. Lots of people have like winged upwind and then sort of free winged back, but I'm not sure if you've tried it, but it, I hate it because the wing like, like blindfolds yeah. sucks. Like it's, yeah, it sucks. Um, I know if, yeah, I know people like wing upwind just to downwind, but I've never heard of someone deflating it, putting it in their arms and that, that's pretty, that's pretty sick. I, I like that. I want to see you do it. I think, I think you can bring it to Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the problem is we got to, I, I've been trying to my best to kind of get my friends to get on the wing, but uh, everyone's pretty anti. I think if I lived on Maui, I would be a full-time winger with Jeffrey Spencer and Finn Spencer. Um, yeah. Sure. But I think with, with Oahu, just the conditions we have and the kind of the landscape of the coast where it is windy is also really hard to launch a wing. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's the biggest turnoff for me. Um, with Sugar Cove or the Spencer Brothers wing, it's pretty much the most perfect setup. You walk out onto this beautiful sand beach, walk out 10 feet into the water and you can be up on your wing. And you can deflate right there on the sand or the grass or on Oahu. You, there's two spots you can go to um, Kahala, which is uh, you can pump up, but then you got to paddle upside down for a little bit with your foil. And there's lots of reef patches and it's kind of a pain. And then diamond head, of course, but you got to walk down this little path or cliff, pump down up there. Then you got to bring all your stuff with you, leave it down there in the bushes. And you really got to be committed. But um, we've kind of found that this whole downwind prone downwind thing is the most efficient and easiest way to have the most fun yeah especially like on on oahu and in hawaii like hitchhiking is just like normal and you just jump in the back of someone's truck and it's easy yeah and i've seen you yeah. guys have like what's the most people you've had in the back i've seen like we've done 15 people plus foils so that means let's say if the car holds there's five seats you can probably fit six to seven guys in the car and then you have 15 or maybe you have like 11 foils in the back or 12 foils in the back. And the remaining three foils are shoved out of each uh, passenger and back window. Yeah. So you stuff the car with as many foils as you can. And then the remaining foils got the window stuff, the, the main kind of cabin of the car or the cab of the car with as many people. Then the, the remainder of the people sit in the back of the truck. And if you if you can't still can't fit people in the back of the truck, you have to put the tailgate down. And you can fit three guys sitting on the tailgate. So, um, we, we got, yeah, all in Hawaii, we have mastered the the hitchhiking shuttle service with anyone's truck. Um, so far, we haven't had any issues with police. We've drove by cops with having ten to fifteen guys in the back, and they've never really said anything. I think they're kind of stoked that we're just doing it, but. Um, we, 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 we get the job done and it, it sucks when you have to take two cars up. That's kind of like, Oh, we just got defeated. Like yeah. <laughs> we weren't able to, we weren't, we weren't able to fit everybody, but um, when we do fit everyone in a truck with like, especially when it's like 
12 to 15 guys. That's we're pretty proud of it. Yeah, that's awesome. And I guess especially when it's a two mile run, that's for the two mile run. You guys are doing that, yeah. Yeah. So the two mile run, it's literally a five minute drive back up the coast. Like anyone passing by who's cool enough to pick us up, it's we're not asking them for like to drive us far. It's like and most people are already heading that way, so they really just drop us off on the side of the road, and it's cool. Yeah, yeah. So that's I'm so jealous because one, you've got the big crew, and two, you've got you know the relaxed rules and the good short run. I, I'm, I'm trying to create something like that here in Sydney, but it's hard to get people to hard to get people convinced to do it. A lot of them are winging, and they um they they're like, oh, if I come down, it's gonna suck. It's like, yeah, but that it's so much better if you don't come down and you're not winging. Um, so it's, I'm working on the crew. I'm trying to, I'm using you guys as a, a template and trying to. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, I've noticed that what we have is really unique and special to Oahu. Like even the other islands I've been to Kauai and um, Maui and they all do stand up just cause you know, if you fall, there's no waves to like uh, chip in at and, they don't have a big enough crew and no one wants to do prone. So kind of like what we have with our short run and the coastline and how the whole run is set up, it makes it super easy to do, to do these prone downwinds. And that's kind of the, like one thing that is special to Oahu that other islands don't have. Yeah, for sure. But if you ever get stuck for a lift, think about that wing upwind deflate. <laughs> yeah, I'll definitely keep that in mind. That sounds like a, a task and a creative, um, goal to accomplish and work towards yeah but that that's definitely that's I'm, that's kind of wild that's the first time i've heard that yeah it's pretty so i totally understand when you've got like a crew of like 10 to 30 people who are all doing prone like the only reason i come up with all these sort of different ideas yeah, is the only one. Doing it, you know um, it's hard yeah to, exactly yeah so it's hard to get the shuttle organized yeah yeah so um, i've Let's talk about equipment. So what, what size was that first stand-up paddleboard you had? You know, what are you using now? Has it changed or? Yeah, so first one, shout out to my, uh, my friend Kai Lenny. He told me his dimensions for his stand-up paddleboard because I had no idea whatsoever um, how to create a stand-up paddle foil. I didn't know how to do it, so I, I messaged him asking what his dimensions were and told John Amundsen, my shaper, to make the exact same thing and see what happens. And uh, he made it. It was an amazing learner board. It wasn't like anything special. It just looked like a, just kind of a nub. <laughs> and uh, it was 5'6", 24 by 5-ish, around there, inches thick. Yeah, so 5'6", 24, 80 liters. And uh, that was pretty good. I was able to stand up on it. It wasn't like the most easiest thing to stand up on, but as I got better, I kind of grew into it. And it could pick up fine. And then that lasted maybe like six months. Yeah. And then I remember um, kind of like being at this point where like I could do it confidently, but I wasn't 100%. And I kind of realized like, what can I do to get my confidence to 100% with getting up on foil? Yeah. And uh, I texted John Amundsen. We called, and from time to time I'll call him and just talk about boards and stuff. But um, he kind of pointed out that the longer board with a more streamlined kind of 
I want to say like Mako sharp, Mako sharp kind of shape, that uh, torpedo shape. He thinks that's easier to paddle and get up on because your nose, when you have a super curvy nose, that's pushing water instead of your sharper nose kind of cutting through the water. So started on that stuff, five, six, 24, 80 liters. And now I'm on my second version, which is a five, eight, 22 inches wide by 75 liters. Yeah. And that I noticed a huge difference. Um, the tail is, a, I don't know if you can see, but if you put two of your shakas out like that, that's kind of about how big your tail is. Yeah. Um, yeah. So pretty then, Not like yeah, a pretty wide. It's just the back, it looks just, you just chopped it off. There's no like curve. And the theory behind that is when you're in the wave and the bump, you want something for the bump to push you. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've talked to so many people and like lots of people agree or disagree with this kind of theory. But um, for me, I've kind of like, um, I've kind of seen how it works and felt how it works. But basically the bump pushes that flat trailing edge and the water is able to push that and give you a little boost as well as your narrow shape. And he made it super light as well as light foam, light glass. But with that narrow shape, you're, it paddles faster and cuts through the water, making it easier to get up on foil. So the first day I got it, I noticed a big difference because I was able to flat water start, but yeah. yeah. What, what wing, well, sorry, what foil were you flat water starting on? So um, before, or the first day I took it out, I have the Lift 300, which is a 1900 kind of, they call it the Sea Pig. It's huge. Yeah. It, it's not meant to, it's, there's no performance whatsoever. It's just meant for ideally someone who's like 200 to 250 pounds that wants to learn on a sup foil. Yeah. That would be the perfect wing for you. But it was kind of just a novelty wing. And for me, I took that thing out. I was able to flat water start on that super easy. And then I transitioned to that 170, which is an 1100 ish. Mm, yeah. Uh, take. Um, I was able to do it once with a little bit of like the t think of like the tiniest bit of current and chop. Yeah. But I'd still consider it a flat water start, but there's a tiny bit of like current and chop and I was able to get up on it once. But um, since then I wasn't able to until last week in Oregon, but yeah. that's kind of like what we were doing. Um, Of course in the swell it was so easy to get up with the 170. The next challenge was the 120 from left, which is a 775. So thinking a little bit less than an 800, that's pretty small. Yeah. Um, most guys surf wings, I want to say are like 150 or 170. And now like, if you think of a 120 high aspect, that's pretty tiny. Right. Um, but with the right, it was actually on Maui when I was able to do it, but on Maui, the bumps are pretty steep and perfect. Yeah, so I was able to get up on the 120 brought that home and was able to do it at home in kind of our kind of weaker bumps. So the 120, I can get up on a bump, but I can't do it on flat water. It's pretty tricky. There's just not enough lift. For sure. Where now yeah. with the 170, I can get up on flat water with the 170. Actually, it's worth probably letting, how much do you weigh? Like what's your- Yeah, so I'm 5'10", 5'11", and, but I'm only 140, 145 pounds. Oh, nothing. Since I'm, yeah. yeah, so I'm pretty, I mean, a lot of guys who are my height are, I want to say maybe like 160 in that range. I mean, depends like how fit you are, of course, but um, me just being a kid and not like fully grown, I, I'm 140. 
So I am on the lighter side. Yeah, so you're, so I just did the conversion, 63 kilos, and you're riding a 75-liter board. That's, you could probably go smaller. Like, um, yeah, so my next one, I was kind of thinking about it, but I think I'm going to go maybe um, 60 to 65 to 70. I think I can go smaller. Yeah, so sure. I'm, I'm 80, 82, 83 kilos, which for those, let me convert that. That's 180 pounds. And I'm riding yeah. a 79 liter board, but like I've got a, I've got a stuff background. So it's like, yeah. generally, the reason I say that is that you can probably go the same um, liters to kilograms weight. That's how I work. Uh, I never thought about it like that because we go by pounds. So it's. Yeah. So if you convert but... to kilos, like kgs, kilograms, you'll get your 63 kilograms. So you could probably easily go. 65 liters, you'd be probably fine if you don't put on too much weight. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll think about that in my next design, but I was actually thinking about that the other day. Like, I could easily go smaller and it wouldn't be a struggle because the 75 liter board I have now is it's pretty easy to just stand up there on and I'm, I can balance perfectly fine. Yeah, and then I guess, look, there's a lot of pros and cons for, for those listening. Um, a bigger board definitely is easier to get going. Like, bigger liters is easier to get going because your balance isn't as bad. The disadvantage of too many liters, if your balance is good, is it's extra weight and it's extra board that you don't need. So for someone like Jack and myself, who we can now get up pretty consistently on a slap and our balance is pretty good, you're basically trying to go as low a volume as you can without compromising getting up and going. So like, like three kilos and I'm using a 79 liter board, like I'm not getting up 100% of the time, but it's like 99 percent of the time I'm getting up and going and I wouldn't want to use my board in the surf because I'm like falling off it's pretty narrow and small but in downwind it's like one one paddle up or and maybe you come down once and you got to paddle up twice but most of the time you're up on the board foiling so the balance is kind of irrelevant you want to think about more maneuverability so a smaller board's better yeah and I've actually how you how you talk about that where it's only one paddle up a lot of guys may think like what's the point of having a sup then like you have to carry the paddle the whole time but i've also noticed with those bigger sup boards and instead of going from a 30 liter prone board to a 70 liter 80 liter sup board you have so much more drive i feel like when you pump and i don't know if you know this but like i feel like i can actually go faster on my sup just because i have more board in the front of me kind of driving me as well as on my paddle i can paddle and pump and it's just a full boost where on the prone board it's fun. It's super sick to carve. And, you know, it feels like you're just tapping the board because it's so light. But then again, like you're, you have no drive because your your board fully adds so much drive with the added area and weight in the front. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I've done a bunch of prone downwinders recently and I've actually never, I actually very rarely go faster on a prone board than at all my stand up. And I think there's two reasons for that. One, what you talk about with that drive, but also because I'm using the GoFoil stuff, um, which is, you know, pretty front foot heavy and the wings are pretty big. Like um, I use the PNL 185 most of the time downwinding because it's just got such a big range. Like I can go in yeah. 10 knots and 30 knots, no, no worries. Um, but when it's, if I, when I use my prone board, I'm like getting too much lift on that foil. Whereas on a SUP, because it's heavier, I can like hold it down and convert that into speed and go faster. Yeah, exactly especially like at where we are now with downwind foiling the foils are basically 
you're better off like Dave Palmer, for example. If it's howling downwind, like he's going to be the quickest guy downwind because easily. So you got to one paddle them up, but once they're up, they've almost got too much lift. So a bigger, heavier guy is going to be able to hold it down and go faster. Whereas someone like you, if it's super windy, is going to have a harder time keeping up with Dave. But when it's light, like we saw in Oregon last week, and we got to talk about that, um, you and the lighter crew are going to be way better because, you know, weight and, and you want the lift then and you can use a smaller foil and go faster. But it's conditions are going to mean different people are going to be winning those downwind races if you're just For looking sure. at that. Mm. Yeah. Um, do you want to go in and talk about that? I think that's a great thing that you pointed out with Dave Kalama. I actually kind of talked to him about that when I was in Oregon and I asked him how his time on his Malika run kind of what has to do with his weight and his equipment. And he pointed out that his foils are when it's nuking, he's able to get up on a small foil. Um, of course, after a few tries, but once he's up, it's good. Mm-hmm. And all he, he says, all he does is once he gets on a swell, he just leans forward and just goes 100 miles an hour. Yeah. Where guys like me, the Spencer brothers, and even like Kyla and you guys, we're all pretty light. When, when it's nuking, we can still go fast, but we have that big disadvantage to Dave where we have to work. We have to pump to get over these swells and connect where Dave just leans forward and just flies. Dave, I've foiled with him downwind a couple of times. And, and like you said, like he takes a little while to get going. I did a, she did a Kihei run with him. And have you done Kihei run? It's like... I have not. It looks, it's, it's epic. The, it looks, the beginning yeah. is kind of shit because it's offshore. So the, the, the bumps yeah. are building as you go. So the beginning's super small. And like the first probably mile is pretty mellow. And you, after that, it gets just bigger and bigger as you go. And so I went with Dave and Alex um, and we were going and I got up from the get go and I was like doing circles around. And I'm like, come on guys, I don't want to go off by myself. Like it's, I came before yeah. you guys. And then yeah. Dave, Dave finally got up. And he was kind of laboring a little bit at the start, like pumping and kind of slow when the bumps were small. And then as the run got, got on, the bumps got way bigger. And he just started taking off, like from a guy that like at the start, I was like, oh, I got to wait for him to the end where I'm like, wait for me, Dave. Like I was fully like. Yeah, it was so fast. Yeah, it was crazy. He was just so good at once he's got his top speed, he just holds it forever. Like he just claims forever, it seems like. I think like we kind of saw that in Oregon um, hood river. I think the, even when it's like the ocean bumps and the river bumps are kind of different. Mm-hmm. I've noticed that the uh, river bumps are shorter, smaller and steeper. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot of like technical carving as well as pumping to the next one. Um, unfortunately in the race day, it wasn't like nuking, but there's like, I'd say enough bumps to, um, downwind and get going um of course you have to be efficient in like your bump reading and um it was kind of varsity level condition reading um it wasn't super obvious but you could definitely see the bumps and connect them mm-hmm. so for like for example mateo austin and i were all pretty light we're just pumping we're just kind of tapping the front of our boards pumping along going from swell to swell where Dave, he's fully struggling just because the swells are so small and he weighs so much more than us. Mm. Where if it was Newton, he would have just smoked us. Yeah, and I would have loved to see, if, like obviously we saw the light wind, but I can imagine if there was a couple of days back to back where you got like a bunch of different conditions and it'd be cool to sort of see who came out on top depending conditions. Yeah. 
Yeah, Michelle and I were talking. Why don't you talk us through the race? Like, say what happened, like what conditions were like, and I'm sure there's a lot of people who are interested. Yeah, so I got there in Hood River, and I guess for them it wasn't like amazing, but like for me, to be foiling in a river was pretty awesome, and I thought the conditions were pretty fun. Um, a few days before the race, we were kind of concerned about Dave Kalama because we knew he was fast. And we're like, okay, well, if if it is windy, if it is like actual swells, big ones, like we could be in trouble. Yeah. Um, I think it was a day before the event. Actually, the morning, the day of the event, our race time wasn't until the afternoon, so we kind of had that morning time to test wings, see what, what the smallest wing we could get up was, get up on was, and then uh. We did a few like one mile runs just to get up, foil for 10 seconds, go back down, practice getting up again. <laughs> and I was on my 170, my 1100 and getting up on kind of flat water with wind at my back was not no problem, but it was definitely doable. I could do it. I could get up. And once I was up, I felt like it was fast enough where that was a wing that I'd want to use. Where Mateo was testing out his 950, which is like a 150. And, uh, he was, he was kind of having trouble getting up. He couldn't get up right away, but once he was up, he was flying. So we're doing that all day, and then finally comes time for the race. Viento is pretty much flat, and apparently, however windy it is, Viento is always mellow. Mm-hmm. So the start of the race is a super mellow start, and we kind of knew that, but we wanted to see like what the smallest wind we could get up on was. I tried the 120 on those flat kind of super miniature bumps and it wasn't I, I didn't feel confident I could get it right away yeah so I used the 170 Matteo used his 1125 which is in between a 170 or 180 and his foil was just kind of faster than mine and he was able to we were all kind of lined up Austin Dave Matteo I and a few other guys um we were all lined up and I remember they blew the horn of course, I get to my feet and Mateo gets to his feet, but Mateo gets up first. And even though he got up maybe three seconds before me, that just from the start, he was 10 feet in front of me. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to catch him. And that gap just grew longer and longer and longer. And I couldn't catch him. I wasn't able to catch up with him. He took the lead by, it started off with 10 feet and it went into who knows how long. Yeah. To the point where I'm looking ahead, I can't even see him. Yeah, wow. And I, I knew I was like, oh, I'm not gonna win, but like, I'm gonna like still keep trying my best to get my best time. And he, uh, he just kind of had that faster foil, and at the same time, that faster foil was able to get up earlier and still had enough lift. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of the best of both worlds, and he was able to um, finesse the bumps and get going faster than me. Yeah. So, so he was um so he was on a you said it was a slightly bigger so it's like, I don't know yeah I mean my for the centimeter guys I think that's the best way to talk about foils but my 170 which is a 1095 1100 basically was compared to his 11 1125 uh, 11, yeah so very slightly slight difference it's a little bit bigger but that yeah. uh he was able to get up easily and it was still going able to go fast. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and you didn't, you didn't come down at all, right? I know none of us came down at all. 
Yeah. Um, once you come down, that's kind of like game over if it's a close one, but because wow. you got to get back on. But yeah, it was a we flew the race with no mistakes. Um, they did make us wear a leash, which was the. I mean, for us, we don't wear leashes here. Um, I didn't have a leash string on my board. Never worn a leash on my sup, so that was like definitely something that was like was different. Um, I don't want to like say it threw off my performance, but I'm just saying that like it was kind of weird having like a leash connected to your board kind of flapping around and when you get up kind of like standing on it, but yeah. uh, that was a little different, but I mean. What I do is I've got like a waist leash. It's kind of dorky, but like at least you're not stand, you never stand on it because it goes directly from your waist down to your, like the back of your board because I guess coming, I was in, I was in Hood River when the guy died because um, he didn't have a leash. So I'm a big advocate of wearing a leash, um, especially foiling. Like, I know every culture is different, but I've just had that experience where I was there for a race and a guy had died because he wasn't wearing a leash. So it's like leashes save lives. They're, they're massive on it there in, in the gorge. Um, yeah, that's what I noticed. Everyone in that race community was super um, positive and pro-leash and PFD. Yeah. Which look, it's if it saves one person's life, I think it's great. And, and like I know it's it's a bit annoying, and I even find myself I'm like oh, stupid leash, like surfing it, stand on it. It's like oh, so annoying. But if it's like gonna stop you from losing your board, or you know having your foil run into someone, or what you know whatever it is, I think you should have a you connect a surfboard to your to your ankle. You should connect a foil to your ankle. Is what I think anyway. And each their own and. You know, you're, you're young, you'll figure it out. And I'm not saying, it's yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's, that's my view. And that's what I always hear in Australia because it's, and I don't always wear a life jacket. I think a leash is more important than a life jacket because I prefer to have my board with me and be able to get in and have a life jacket where I, I can't even swim in a life jacket. Well, you know, you're just sort of floating. Yeah, yeah you so, just kind of float there. Like, uh... yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's interesting though. Cause like that, that for sure is something that, you know, is going to make a difference for you. Um, but I guess if everyone has to do it, it's even. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if everyone has to do it for sure, but that was just something that kind of was like different that I wasn't used to, but Mateo yeah. wasn't used to it either. And I think, uh, and it was kind of like, like you both up. And so the, the first foil race I did was in Malik, uh, was in Maui, the Maliko run. And, um, I was using, it was using a Maliko 200. So it was like, this is a while ago. And um, when, what, what did everyone else was, yeah, there was the NFCs, there was- Was, um, was this the Olukai race? I don't know, it wasn't Olukai. I think it was the, the Poi Bowl, like 2018. Oh, Poi Bowl, yes. Yeah. I've heard about that. Yeah, so Kai won it, but Cody apparently almost got Kai. They were both using MFC at the time. But this was before the GL 180 came out. And like for me, like using GoFold, the Maliko 200 on the very best run I'd ever do, the fastest I'd ever go was like 20 kilometers an hour. The next day. Can you, uh, yeah, what, yeah, what, yeah. yeah, so kilometers per hour to miles per hour. Uh, so 20 is, it's just under, it's 12 and a half. Whoa. That's like, that's the fastest average speed I could ever do on the Maliko 200. So like, whereas the, the first day I got the GL 180, which is like the first high aspect wing GoFoil did, I was right, doing- I have, I have my converter out right now. Yeah, yeah. 
the first day I got the GL180, I did a, I averaged like 21, 22 Ks an hour and like conditions were worse. So like I was looking at doing like 18 Ks an hour, which oh. is, um, so you went up 21 to 22, which would be about 13 to 14 miles per hour. Yeah. Just from using a different foil, you know, and it's like, well, how am I supposed to keep up with anyone if I'm using this like slower foil? And I was so like, okay, this is an arms race. You know, we've all got to work on our foils and get them faster. And then, you know, whoever can get, this is from just racing, but whoever can get up on the smallest foil is going to win. And that's what I thought was the case. And then I think as everyone gets better, they're going to be able to, like you watch Dave Plum, for example, like when big bumps, even if he's on a slower foil, he's going to beat you because he's just, yeah. he just knows how to read it. And he can hold his momentum. He stays up high in his mast and he's moving. Um, so it's, it's interesting. I, I'm really intrigued to see. And that's why when I saw you guys race, I'm like, oh, I got to chat to Jack and, and Mateo and see what was going on because, um, yeah, and I, I spoke to Sup Tomo, who came fourth. He came down. And he said he had a shocker. It was yeah. Um, he said he should use the bigger foil because he obviously, if you come down once, that's an issue. Yeah, you're done. Yeah, exactly. And I think that um, in every race, it's easy to ride the smallest foil and get up if you're starting in the bumps and ending in the bumps. Yeah. Where if you take, for example, Molokai to Oahu, that race, yeah, you have your flat water start. You do the race and then you're you're looking at a one mile upwind pump and that that's like the extreme of it. Yeah. Um but that's when it comes down to equipment, like what's the smallest wing that you can use that you can get up on comfortably. And I mean any if it was a start in the bump and end in the bump, people would just be going on like one hundreds. Yeah. And like I guess for you guys, that's like a six hundred wing or it's yeah. just as small as you can get. And but that's kind of cheating. Like it doesn't really show your full like what you're fully and, capable of yeah so like, i guess i'm not sure if you've seen similar thing but like I, i've taught like a few of my friends like zane westwood for example and, and marcus tardrew and like i've been falling for way longer than them and, and ben tardrew and like basically as soon as you get up to a certain level and you can read a bump and you're not coming down all the way you're pretty much the same speed as everyone else like there's not that much of a difference like you go from beating them by you know minutes because they're on a stand up or whatever then they finally figure out how to do a downwind foil and you're like minute you're like 30 seconds to a minute apart instead of you know even though you've had all this extra time working out how to do it because there's a like there's a max speed you have to be able to go to stay up like yes it's like like if if you teach a friend and you go to a tongs to kaiko or what's a kaiko's tongs run yeah like all they're almost like everyone's like the same speed almost like there isn't that much difference yeah it's like really hard to if you look at all these times especially on maui i think um the big difference between oahu we're doing it kind of just for fun to surf but on maui they're so competitive and when i go over there when i go over there i kind of get like a taste of their competitive drive but they're all into their times and their equipment and taking the straightest fastest line but if you look at the times they're all kind of like minutes or 30 se- like seconds apart there's no like 31 minute run to like someone else's 35 like yeah. if you're really trying to be in that top category you, your your times are all 30 seconds apart if that yeah i think it's really interesting like like you said like oahu's like all that surfing and, and that's like obviously i was racing stand-ups and i was going i was living on maui for basically three months of the year before covid and it was like i was full in that headspace like you got to go as fast as you can down the run and yeah. you know you got to 
see what your clock says and whatever it is. Yeah. Sort of come home and, you know, COVID, no racing. So it's like now when I download, it's like I just want to have fun and, like, see how long I can make the run go. So you're doing turns and you, I'll hunt yeah. way in and I'll hunt way in and then I'll, you know, doing circles around friends and it's, like, more about um, having fun than it is just down the down the run. I don't – yeah, personally, I don't even find – racing sup foiling or f- racing foiling and at all fun i really dislike it a lot i think the whole point of downwinding for us was to surf these waves forever mm. which can, can simulate or tra- uh, translates to i guess shortboarding the most perfect wave mm. that goes for 10 minutes so for us it's just carving and doing these turns and linking in going fast where if you're just racing you're they're not really riding bumps. It's like assisted pumping almost. You're just pumping. Yeah. You're just pumping with these bumps at your back, and you know it's helping you. But really, re- rarely are you really just standing on a bump. And when you when you are standing on a bump and get and you do get a bump to stand on, you just want to go even faster. So you just keep pumping. Exactly. So the whole time it's just. It's like almost worse when you've got like a really good bump because it's slowing you down and you can't pump over it. Yeah. 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 So it just, it doesn't really make sense to me unless you're in a race yeah. to go race by yourself and just pump for 30 minutes straight. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And like, it's, unless it is like, like the windiest day ever, then I'll try to go as fast as I can. Cause I want to see like, this is the day I could do a PB, you know, I want to see how fast I can go today. But if it's a mellow day, I'm just like, I'm just cruising. I'm going to surf and see how much fun I can have and see how much, you know, how much I can surf on this run. So it's, yeah, it's, um, yeah. yeah. For anyone listening, like, when you learn, I definitely recommend trying to surf as much and don't look at your watch. Like, just go and, like, yeah. try to, like, read the bumps and pump as little as possible. And then if you want to start to go faster, it's a bit of a different story. Smaller wind. Yeah, I've heard. years back, and you almost, as you said, it's a wind assisted pump rather than, you know. it's, it's not even, it almost defeats the purpose of, like, the whole, searching for bumps reading the ocean and like carving where you're like anyone can just pump down in as fast as they can yeah it really turns into like can you find the best line to take can you find can you link these bumps and Mm. i mean it depends like what you're training for of course and um what your your end goal is but for me if i just want to have fun i'm just cruising yeah Uh, cruising to second place well done mate (laughs) (laughs) thanks yeah so um, t- tell us, like, I saw you did some stern wheel stuff too. Um, tell the people like what you got up to in Oregon, just like a little summary. Yeah, so um, Oregon was kind of a big destination for a lot of suppers and kind of every uh, downwind sport mm. uh, athlete, just because since COVID, we haven't had any events. And this being the first event back, was kind of a big target for a lot of people just because everyone wants to compete so badly they're willing to go to Oregon and of course Hood River is great and that was my last week of kind of summer before I started school this past week but um at the beginning of my trip I wasn't psyched to go at all I wanted to stay home the reason why I was going was to do this but also lift foils was sending me there to do some product shoots with the e-foil and just kind of do kind of a content based trip so he sent myself as well as my photographer buddy up there and I was not really that excited I just wanted to stay home my last week of summer and cruise 
And so we got there. I didn't really know what to expect. Um, we woke up the next morning because we got in at night. We woke up the next morning. And I was absolutely blown away by how beautiful this place is. And even though the first day we woke up and it was completely dead flat, perfect glass, uh, no wind at all, not a breath of wind. There was just so much to do. We the, like the first day we went down to the dock and then we went e-foiling and then finished the night with the stern wheel. And I, I got so, so psyched for my next week because I realized that this place has so much to offer. It's so beautiful. The town is great. The food is great. And my friends are there. So I went from kind of just hating myself for going on this trip to just being so stoked. And at the end of the week, even though it was a seven day trip where usually on Maui, I'm over it after a few days, I was so stoked. I could have stayed another week or so, but um, that place is just so epic. And that was my first time there. I didn't really know what to expect, but it, uh, it exceeded my expectations and it was a very nice place to go on vacation. Yeah. It, 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 even, it didn't even feel like a work job. It felt more like a, just a vacation kind of cruise thing with my friends, but yeah. So we just went up there and participated in the race as well as uh, got some content, but it was a pretty relaxing trip. And I think, I think one of the highlights was the stern wheel for sure. It creates yeah. this endless wake. There's actually like 10 wakes. And as you like go farther back behind the boat, the wake gets smaller, but it just creates this endless wake that you just do like the best smoothest carves on. And I think that that was my smoothest foiling that I've ever done was behind this huge stern wheel, no, just because the wake is so perfect. I can't wait to see the content, mate. I'm, um, I saw Eric Sturman or Mackay Creative posted something today with you guys dock starting and yeah. facing the way yeah. today or yesterday. And that looks pretty sick, but I'm sure um, there's more to come. So Yeah, we're, we're working on it. We, we got so much video and photo that we got to go through and edit everything. But um, yeah. something's definitely dropping soon with Lyft. So we're excited to share that. Have to keep an eye on it. Um, I had a few questions. From, from some of the crew. Um, so we'll open them up. Um, this is from Boo Foil. Um, Boo Foil, yeah. Yeah. Which is faster, the pad pan or the Voyager hat? Oof. Um, I'd like to say the pad pan hat. If you guys don't know what pad pan is, it's Kyle Maligro's brand. Um, the, the reason why I say that is because there's a limited amount of them and not everyone has one. Where a lot of, there's a lot of, there's, um, much more Voyager hats out there. So I'd say the pad pan since it's a limited edition. <laughs> Great answer. Yeah. All right. Um, it's head did said looked like a custom fuse and G10 tail on your gorge setup. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So um, there's, there's kind of no secret that these cane tails have kind of been popping off. And of course I want to try one. Um, I've spoken with like, you know, my, my crew at Lyft, my team at Lyft, and they're all for trying new pieces of equipment. So I broke a 25 tail, I like jammed against the rocks, the thing broke. And I had this fuse because the, if you don't know, the lift fuse is like a female part and lady part or a female part and male part. And they fit into each other and you screw them in instead of a um, fuselage that's already made where you just put the tail on top. So you have to fit these two pieces together. Uh, it doesn't give you an option to change the tail. The tail's connected. So I sent it to Kane. He fiddled with it and 
took the end of a unifoil or signature kind of bit at the end of the fuse where there's those screws, fit them together somehow with the broken end and the, that little bit, wrapped in a carbon of uh, fiberglass, made it nice and gave me a tail. And the, the angle's actually slightly off. It's the tail's kind of tilted like this, huh. but it's, it's the most slightest difference where I don't know if it, it would make a difference, but uh, it's kind of a one of a kind fuse and it allows me to ride um, his tails. So yeah, in the, during the race, I rode the 170 with a prototype 13 inch G10 race tail from Kane. Ah, the ranked ones, they look pretty cool. Um, I've, yeah. I've got one of Kane's tails. I think it's, I got a 12 and a half inch and a 15 inch, I think. Um, and then he tells me the 13 and a half is the money one. Um, <laughs> but I use the 15 inch for like downwind, like long distance, cause it's like heaps more stable. And then I use the smaller one, like the 12 and a half for, um, I guess more turny, you know, trying to surf more. Um, couple more questions. I know it's yeah. getting where you are now. So another question is, was it best of having longer or shorter foil board for prone while downwinding? Um, I think the longer foil board for sure is better because like we were saying earlier, that drive with more area in the front of your nose um, will kind of make you go fast and propel you forward. Where I've tried these super like 310 nubby shapes and they're cool. They pump easily, but there's no drive. Like you can't get going super fast or with a longer, longer board, it allows you to kind of propel yourself forward just because there's weight and area in the front. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how to explain it because really it shouldn't make that much of a difference. Like a longer board shouldn't go faster, but it's like because you've got that more board in front of you, you can push down. And if you do touch, if you do touch down, you're not going to nosedive and come off. Whereas the short board, you touch down, you're like, you're done. Like it's, it's kind of like, there's nowhere to go. So I agree. I think a longer is better for downwinding because you're not turning that hard anyway compared to in the waves. All right. Um, two more questions, both from Matt Coast, but he's changed his name to Foil Me Harder on <laughs> on, um, on his Insta. Um, first question was, tell him to post the gear he rides. That's not really a question. It's just telling you to post the gear. <laughs> so he, he, his request is to post my gear. To, to, to I, him or, or to, to your... To your Instagram or I don't know. So I, don't know. I, I can do that. I can do that sometime in the near future. I don't know if I can guarantee that tomorrow, but yeah. um, I will I will someday post that. And then the next question is, and I'm not sure if he means run, but he says how fast can he run a mile? Maybe he means like downwind foil. Uh how fast can I run a mile? Like running? I'm gonna say not, not uh, fast, but <laughs> how fast you can <laughs> but, well, well, fun fact, I can't run a mile that fast, but foiling, I don't know my best mile time. I know that my best two-mile Kaiko's run that I timed was seven minutes. Seven. So um, you can yeah, do the math. Three and a half minutes per mile, but yeah. um, I, I've never really t like gotten that into timing myself and going mile by mile. I know some guys do, but I just... Not really into that whole timing thing, but yeah, 
Yeah, I guess I, I'm into that because I guess from like I got like a Garmin watch, so it just beeps at me every. I can do miles or kilometers, but like for me, like a fast kilometer is down towards like two fourteen, like close closer to two ten, and then like a slow kilometer is like you know above three minutes. Like if you've done everything at two fifty, it's like oh, it's going slow. Conditions were bad, or whatever it was. Um, so sorry, two kilometer. That's, that's, one, that's just one kilometer so kilometers to miles it's so annoying when you guys post miles and i post kilometers but um how do i convert this so oh, people, oh, sorry your, your one kilometer was two and a half minutes to 215 like that sort of area i guess it's like three-fourths of a mile i want to say something like that i'm sure i can find a converter so how fast is one mile in kilometer? That doesn't mean anything. No, anyway, people will tell me, they're like, oh, you got to do this converting thing. So I'll be able to answer it. I'm going to try to get Matt Coast on, I think, soon. So I think people will be happy to chat to him. He's kind of a crazy guy, creative guy. It'd be cool to see what he's doing. But yeah, that's, that's all. Actually, I always finish with three tips for people learning to downwind foil. Yeah, three tips. Whatever. Downwind foiling, three tips. Um, first of all, you can't get good at something if you don't do it. You can you can go every day for however long and be the best, or you can go once a week and not be the best. Um, it's there's a direct correlation between how much you go and how much effort you put into it and your success rate. Where if you're just going once a week or whatever, like every now and then you're going to eventually get it. But the more you go and the more reps you put in, then that's how you're going to finally succeed for your end goal. Sure. Um, another tip I think would be have patience. Don't you, you can, you can ride much more than you think. You don't need to always be pumping where you think you got a pump, but really you have enough lift and energy where you can just ride. And that, is um, a big one because the more you pump, that's just making you less efficient. You're wasting your energy when you could just be riding these swells. And um, the last tip I'd say is just getting the right equipment. You know, it, it's you can have whatever foil you have and make it work, but if you do have the right equipment, if you do have the right wing, it does make it so much easier. Where if you're trying to do it on this like small mid aspect kind of hybrid surf high aspect pump wing, you know, it's good. It's going to work. You can do it. But if you get a true kind of glider wing, like for example, the PNL 180, 185, whatever it is, um, I've tried it. And that's just about the most perfect uh, downwind beginner wing, just because there's so much glide and so much lift. So mm -hmm. something similar to that, where you can have a lot of lift and a lot of glide as well as pump and speed. That's a, a huge one. So equipment, repetition, and ride more than you think you don't need to always be pumping right tips very good ones matt yeah and I, I wholeheartedly agree with all of that you definitely want equipment and yeah everyone does it their first down and run they just think they have to pump the whole way it's like dude just settle down you're standing there next to them you're like stop pumping breathe <laughs> settle down yeah. relax yeah so yeah, um, anything else you want to leave us with? Because I think we'll wrap up because it's getting pretty late for you now. Yeah, it is getting late here, but um, uh, I just wanted to say that being able to do these podcasts, especially with the Progression Project, 
as well as whoever else is doing podcasts. I think it's so great because when I was learning how to foil a few years ago, I remember I would listen to these podcasts and it would help me get so much better. And I think it's great that we have this platform where we can all kind of connect via Zoom or you know Instagram, YouTube and learn through just listening to other people talk. I think it's super great. So thanks James for having me on. And anybody else, if you have any questions, please just hit me up on Instagram at Jack from town. Um, I do check my DMs and I'm always stoked to answer questions if you have more questions. Um, and yeah, I answer questions about my gear, my boards, my dimensions, what I ride. I have nothing to hide. I'm, I have no secrets to my equipment. So yeah, hit me with any questions that you have or any comments or whatever you want to see next on Instagram. If you want to see cool videos like James's wing contraption thingy, let me know and we'll try I'll to make that, that happen. I'll say you do that. <laughs> Some someday in the near future, hopefully I can uh, yeah. give it a shot. Yeah, definitely. Document it. Listening, definitely go give Jack a, a at Jack from town. Um, that's his Instagram, and he's got epic content up there, and definitely worth giving him a follow because he's an up and comer. Oh, he's a I say up and comer, but he's just come second at you know the biggest fall race in probably eighteen months. So he's here. Yeah, it's thanks, it. man. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm I'm stoked to be following along, and yeah, um, thanks for joining us for the Casey catch up. Right on James. Thanks for having me. Aloha everybody.